0: welcome to the OKC Community Podcast. We are so glad you're here. To get the latest updates or to watch this week's message, visit our website at okccommunitychurch.com. Hey, I give it up for Meredith one more time. It takes a lot to share your story and what you're going through. And I know a lot of us connect with hearing the story of someone else. And uh there's a lot of power in the stories of renewal. And so today I'm just going to start with a prayer and then we're going to jump into this and hopefully just allow the God, God to do a work within us. So would you pray with me? Father, we just pray that as we, as we start the sermon, this message right now, that Father, you would just, uh, yeah, allow every person in this room to just connect with the work you're doing in their life right now, the things that are going on around them. And we invite your Holy Spirit in. We just ask and we declare, come Holy Spirit into our life. Meet us where we are. Show us what's next. God, I love you and we thank you for what you're doing in these days. We pray this in your name. And everybody said. Well, thank you guys so much for being here. How are you all doing today? Good. It's good to be with you. I want to welcome those online. Uh, we're so thankful for those doing church at home we know that uh, uh, it's a lot these days, and we're just proud of you for continuing to do church even, even in a season where it's difficult to do it in person. And so we love you. We're with you. If there's anything we can do for you, please let us know. And to th- for those of you in the room, what's up, my friends? How are you? It is so good to be with you. Today we are on week number four of renewal. Can you believe it? Does anyone else feel like 2021 is flying by? Yeah, 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 yeah. I think so. Uh, we're talking about our hope. For the renewing work of the Holy Spirit. And I want to re- begin by just taking us straight back to this central image, this illustration we've been utilizing through the series about how the ocean tide works, that there's a tide that goes in and it goes out, and much like Uh, The way God's power works in the world, it it kind of can do the same thing, work sort of like an ocean tide. And there are tides sometime in the world, sometimes in the world that come in and they're very, very large, right? There's what could be called a tidal wave. And renewal kind of works like a tidal wave, coming in an extra size, an extra force. And all of us know that there are places around the world that when it comes to the real ocean tides, it kind of works the same way. They have these seasons in which big tides come. And a lot of times in these communities, they install what's known as seawalls, right? And these seawalls are there to protect seaside communities from being flooded with the ocean coming in on them. I have a few pictures to show you, of course, that kind of give us this picture of what a seawall is. And it has a great practical purpose, of course. Uh, It's obviously good um for those communities that have seawalls so they don't have this ocean tide coming in float, flooding them uh seawalls are good where actual tides exist and so for the record I just want to state before I start to talk about the problem with seawalls that I am for real seawalls okay I I endorse the usage of seawalls around the world however comma in our little more metaphor about God's power and his renewal work in our lives Have we installed seawalls that do their very best to prevent too much of God's presence flooding into our life? I want you to stay with me because I really want you to consider a thought today. Have you installed seawalls into your heart and into your life that keep a move of God at bay? Seawalls that prevent his presence to come flooding into your life, disrupting your norms. You know, our culture around us, it has all sorts of seawalls that really are working to, to try and prevent God from doing a special work. I mean, we can just kind of point our fingers at a lot of things, but you know, one of the things that we've really been taught over the last few decades is that, you know, that faith should be a private matter. You need to keep it to yourself. <laughs> and what's resulted is the rise of individualism in our faith, and as a result... It's disguised as protection, but it's really just prevention. Politics in our nation have become a seawall that for so many people, and we're not going to stay on that one very long, but so many people believe that Jesus would indeed be a Democrat, while other people will bleed their own blood to say that Jesus was absolutely a Republican. Politics claim that they can protect us like a seawall, but the truth is, is they're usually just preventing us from something better. Many have fallen into the trap of marrying faith and politics to the point that now we are seeing religion become, I mean, excuse me, politics become the new religion of our day. Seawalls exist on a macro cultural level. And as Christians, we like to point to them because it seems disassociated from us because we are not like that. But I want to just propose the thought that maybe we've we've allowed seawalls to exist in us personally. You and I have seawalls that we feel like are protecting us, but in reality, all they are do is preventing us. They're preventing us from the gift that God wants to give you. They're preventing us from God's flooding presence coming into our lives, preventing you from the things that God, it's a good gift, right, that he has for us. You see, oftentimes seawalls, they act uh, like a stiff arm to the Holy Spirit, you know, like, Heisman pose, right? They work like a stiff arm to the Holy Spirit. Now, clearly, I just want to make this statement. Clearly, God can't be stopped. He can do whatever he wants. It doesn't matter what we do, what walls we put up. God can go wherever he wants because that's what breakthrough is all about. But here's what I want us to know. The scriptures say that the spirit of God likes to work gently within us. That's Ephesians 3. The spirit of God also says in Second Chronicles 16 that the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to find those whose hearts are fully committed to them so that he can give them strength. So there is something about the work of God that he says, yeah, I can do anything. I can go anywhere. But I really, really love when there's people who heart whose hearts they're looking out to their horizon, welcoming my presence to come into their life. There's something different about that. There's something different about the posture of our heart that God says, I can move in that person. I see them. I see their hearts and how open and welcoming they are to me. And so I want to, this brings us back to Mark 14, the story of Jesus and Mary, the alabaster jar. We've been sitting in this story for the last few weeks. Uh, We're just going to kind of continue to dig into it a little bit, if that's all right. Mark 14 verse three. I'm just going to read the story again. All right, here we go. Verse number three, Mark 14. While he, meaning Jesus, was in Bethany reclining at the table of a home, in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar, a very expensive perfume made of pure nard. We talked about the story behind that perfume in week one. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you and you can help them anytime you want. But you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Meaning, in other words, she's listening. Jesus said, I'm about to give my life and she did something to get ready for it. They weren't listening as well. Truly, I tell you, whether the, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, she has done or what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the 12, went to the chief priests to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money, so, they watch, so he watched for an opportunity to hand them over. All right, we've already spent quite a bit of time talking about Mary and this beautiful act that she did of worship. For a few moments, I want to focus on the others. Everyone say the others. Yes. <laughs> I love the, 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 the title of the others. It makes me think of the TV show Lost a few years ago, if anybody watched that, where all of us ended up, as the joke was on us, we were the ones lost at the end. But, but nonetheless, <laughs> here's what we're going to do. I want to take this series of Jesus... Mary and the others, and do my best to kind of exegete our human ways and what we do to put up walls, all right? Because I want us to consider that the others in this story could have been inspired by Mary and they could have followed her ways, but they chose to not to because they had some sort of self-protective walls around them that prevented them doing what she did. So we're going to talk about the few walls that are in this story that I believe that are also alive in our life today and real tangible ways that are preventing God's presence from flooding in to our life. So let's do this, let's talk about the others, starting with Judas. So Judas, of course, is pointed out in verse 10. I don't want us to think about it, it was this very act that, that broke, uh, that was the last straw, right? It was the thing that for whatever reason, from this moment, Jesus. I mean, Ju- Judas says enough is enough and he goes to betray Jesus. That's a significant thing to notice, which I don't wanna just glaze over that like it's some you know, donut, right? I wanna really, really pay attention to this. Mary's act, catch this, (laughs) that was good, Mary's act of passion, Mary's act of passion led to Judas's rejection. And that's significant because here's what happens, the greater the passion, the greater the opposition. The greater the passion, the greater the rejection will come. So the more passion someone has for Jesus, the greater the opposition is going to come against it. And so right here we see one of the most extravagant acts of passion in the scriptures Followed by one of the greatest acts of rejection, and I don't know. I think that's what Jesus says. Hey, the gospel is going to divide, man. There's going to be people that are for me and people that are going against me, and it's just going to happen. So, the Gospel of John, there's a story is recorded in the Gospel of John as well, and he adds a little bit of detail about Judas, and he says Judas was full of greed. He would steal from the money bag, so of course, so of course, Judas thought what Mary was doing was a waste, a pure waste of his money, right? Of course he hated what Jesus said about what Mary did because he thought, no, 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 no. That act of passion was pointless. So Judas, if I was going to try and categorize him, Judas was self-centered and he was motivated by his own agenda. Now, here's the thing. Before you judge, (laughs) who in this room has not been self-centered? Who in this room has not been motivated by your own agenda? And you're like, well, I mean, I get it, but this is Judas we're talking about. I just want us to think about this for a minute because this is a struggle that we all have. Who hasn't, once again, been self-centered? We can't get out of our way. It's extremely difficult to lay down our own agenda. And I know this because even very, very kind people still want to get their way. They still want what they want. It's why we protect our money, our time, our own way of thinking. We say to God, I'll give you everything, except that, that, and by the way, I need that, right? God, I, I wanna give you my life, but I'm going to craft some of my own beliefs. I'm gonna give you my life, but there's this part of the Bible that just doesn't really make sense to me or don't really jive with that, so I'm gonna kind of DIY my own beliefs, and, and here's the thing, I give you my life, but I'm gonna create my own sexual ethic and I'm gonna ignore 2,000 years of church history. I'm gonna create my own way of thinking about money because here's the deal, I trust you, God, with everything, but, I, but here's the thing, I think I'm a little, I trust money a little bit more, so I'm gonna keep that in my hands. I know I'm supposed to give you my first fruits, but I'm not gonna trust you enough with that. God, I give you my life, but I need that, that, and that. God, I give you my life, and I thank you for your forgiveness, but don't ask me to forgive them. God, here's the thing. I I want you, Jesus, but I want you my way. See, God comes rushing in and he wants to he wants to show Judas something in this moment. And Judas immediately puts the seawalls up because he has his own agenda. He has his own plans. He has his own ways of thinking. And so what happens is our agenda, our ways and our DIY beliefs are like seawalls against the ways of Jesus coming at us and God's presence wanting to come flooding into our life. And guess what? I think a lot of us do the same thing. So you have to know that when Mary covered Jesus with that perfume, you know, she poured out every drop. We've talked about that. You know that that fragrance, that smell was overwhelming. It filled the house. And probably to the, to the others, it was like too much. It was like, dude, seriously, Mary, why did you have to do that? That is We would have smelt it if you just did a little extra, but you did it all. We're going to smell it for days. To the others, the smell was overwhelming. To the others, this act of passion was completely unnecessary and out of line. The the disciples spoke up and said, what are you doing? Are you crazy? We could have done so much more with this resource. In verse 4, it says those, those, those words, why this waste, which really stood out to me this week. They think she's wasting all this money, all this potential. Think of what we could have done if we sold that instead of just pouring it out on Jesus. Mary had broken the boundary of respectability. Even among her peers, she had went too far. She had been too passionate. You know that we are programmed to never be the person that stands out as too passionate. That's how we're programmed to think. Cause we've learned that too passionate is the recipe for being the person that is uh, called out to calm down, uh, to maybe they're a little crazy, misunderstood. For example, anybody seen the show, my crazy obsession. It's an old show on TLC, but they get people doing that collect crazy things like someone collecting way too many cabbage patch dolls. You know what I'm saying? Fill in their house with thousands of cabbage patch dolls. You land on my crazy obsession. Here's the deal. Here's the deal some passion for the wrong thing well that's just weird that's no bueno but i think it brings up something right because it illustrates that we actually are repulsed by too much by too much passion and it can apply to the wrong things meaning sometimes there's too much passion that's a good thing but we think it's a bad thing because of everything else where people are too weird and they're too much passion you are you following me and so what happens is someone says you know what we need you know For Jesus, PDA, I don't know, You know, public displays of affection, I don't know about that. We all know what PDA is, right? We're at school and no PDA, the the boy and the girl that are too comfortable with too much PDA, what do we do? We'll turn away in disgust, right? Like, come on. I mean, that's appropriate in that situation. But there are some situations in which we've applied principles that exist in that situation to our faith. And so here's the thing, what happens is, what happens is most Christians, I would say a lot of Christians, maybe not you, but a lot of Christians, a lot of followers of Jesus, they're very uncomfortable with PDA for Jesus, public displays of passion or affection for Jesus. In fact, in fact, a lot of Christians worship Jesus with less passion than they argue about what the best pizza in town is. That's true. I've seen some, some fights over the best pizza in town in a good way. Are you all with me today? So Judas speaks up and says, Mary, that's a waste. All that worship, it's a waste. It's too much. The disciples pour out more disappointment on Mary. Guilting her and saying, do you know what we could have done with that? In other words, this is what they say. We should have used that perfume with a greater purpose. Everyone say purpose. Again. I'd like to think that if I was in this story, that I'd be Mary in the story, that I'd be at the feet of Jesus, that I'd be doing the things that Mary was doing. But I, but I, but when I think about this moment right here, when they call out for greater purpose, I start to realize that I'm probably a lot more like the others because I'm a very, I'm a, I'm a person that gets fired up about effectiveness. I'm a person that wants to make sure we're doing it right. I'm a person that's kind of, hey, let's raise the bar there. Let's do that. Let's do that in the church. It's like how many people have given their life to Christ this year? How many baptisms? How many people are coming to church? You know, are we being effective in the mission? How are we doing with the poor? Are we doing more for the poor? Right? Like, and so are we, are we elevating this passion? Because we, a lot of us, we're pragmatic and purposeful people. We want to see a return on our investment. We are an ROI people. We want to see a return on our, on our time, our energy, our money. And anything that seems excessive or wasteful is just, it, it, it's repulsive to us. For example, you know, you, let's say you go to a nice restaurant. And you order a really nice, expensive meal. It's a celebration. You're like, hey, you know what, I'm going to splurge tonight. Yeah, give me the filet mignon. A nice glass of Merlot. Let's do this. <laughs> Go to the 16 Oz. I can keep going. These jokes are as old as time. <laughs> so here's the thing. You order your meal and it comes out and guess what? The portions are way too small. And you're like, I spent all this money and this is all they're going to give me? This is a waste of money. Or Christy and I, we went Christmas shopping last month, and it was one of those days where we decided, hey, we're gonna, we're gonna go old school today. We're going in-person shopping, not online. So we masked up, we went out for hours. You understand, you remember those days when you're like, I don't know what I'm getting, but I'm gonna go to the store. And so we went to the store, and we're looking around, and guess what, it was a complete failure. We couldn't find anything, except we did get candles from Bath & Body Works because it was a semi-annual sale, $10 candles. <laughs> candles. You got to just load up. You know what I mean? So we loaded up on candles. It was really heavy, by the way. And so anyway, nothing else happened, though. So what do we do at the end of a long day when all we got in return is some candles? It's a waste of time. Right. We need a return on our investment. Our money, our time, our energy all have value. And we're we're programmed to fill it with purpose. We are programmed to self-protect from what others may think is a waste. Are y'all staying with me today? The reality is that I'm usually more like the others than I am Mary. And that is, that, that's sinking into my heart right now, to be really honest with you. It, it really does start to raise questions like, what am I so afraid of? What stops me from posturing myself at the feet of Jesus, the way she did. You see, in this moment, Jesus looks at the others and he says, you know what, you're always going to have the mission, you're always going to have things that you can do that are really important, you're always going to have things with purpose to go and get done, and he doesn't say, I don't care about that stuff, he doesn't say, I don't care about the poor, he didn't say that. But he says, don't dismiss passion for purpose. He says, don't place purpose before passion. This is actually a massive shift for most of us, by the way. So many people treat following God like it's more like our purpose than it's our passion. We think the Great Commission is about purpose and we forget that it's first about passion nothing is wrong with purpose it's actually really good but Jesus can't be our purpose before he's our passion (laughs) in church culture we we can fixate on accomplishing the mission instead of worshiping with passion and this backwards way by the way it has a ripple effect into where do we put our passion then and so a lot of people they start to put their passion in things that They do, which is actually supposed to be the things that we're purposeful about. And so we start to put our passion in things like our jobs. And so we say, oh, I want to be passionate about my job. I'm looking for a job that I'm passionate about. I want to love my job. But in fact, you're supposed to just go do your job and you're supposed to actually be passionate about your faith. And so we think we're supposed to do our faith and be passionate about what we do. Oh, you guys following me? Because check this out. I'll put it on the screen for you. We think we're supposed to be passionate about what we do, but when we are passionate about who we are as children of God, and more importantly, about who Jesus is. It shapes everything about what we do. Following Jesus isn't our purpose. Following Jesus must be our passion that shapes our purpose. So there's a conversation that springs up in the days of Jesus. And as you guys know, Jesus would sit in the temple courts often. He would debate about different things. And there's a question around what's the most important thing that we're supposed to do, Jesus? And this is, the, this is the conversation. We all have heard this a million times, but I'm going to give you the Mark 12 version. Mark 12, verse 28. One of the religious scholars came up hearing the lively exchanges of questions and answers and seeing how sharp Jesus was in his answers, he put in his question. Which is the most important of all the commandments, Jesus said, meaning what's the most important thing for me to go and do? He said the first in importance is this, listen, Israel, the Lord your God is one, so love the Lord your God with all of your, say it with me, passion, say it with me, passion, one more time, say it with me, your passion and your prayer and your intelligence and energy. Now, this is the message version. We usually hear it said heart, mind, soul, and strength, but I really love how uh, Eugene Peterson writes this when he says all of your passion, meaning all of your heart, with all of your prayer, meaning all of your soul, with all of your intelligence, meaning all of your mind, with all of your energy, meaning all of your strength. Look at what it says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. He says, I admit that I have yet acquired the absolute fullness that I'm pursuing. So this is Paul speaking. And Paul says, hey, I admit that I haven't yet got exactly where I want to get with my, with my, in my life with the Lord and all that I'm pursuing. But I run with, everybody say it with me, passion into his abundance so that I may reach the, say it with me, purpose oh my goodness oh my god it's almost like this this is meant to be today (laughs) that jesus christ has called me to fulfill and wants me to discover so my passion that i'm pursuing the lord with will shape my purpose are you all with me because this is here and some of you are like i'm I'm just i'm actually going to try and tie this up in just a moment and it's gonna like i think it's gonna be helpful but when i think about the others joining together and the criticism of Mary, I see what I feel like is a small version of what is kind of known as herd mentality. You see, I've kind of just pictured like the others in this room, and who knows, maybe there was someone else that saw what Mary did when she breaks open the alabaster jar and pours it out on Jesus, and maybe their first thought was, wow, Mary, that's amazing. And they were inspired in that moment but those same people quickly turn on a dime when there's a few people in the room that start to cry out for less passion and greater purpose you see herd mentality always finds a soapbox to stand on in this case it was the poor that they used as their tactic for less passion and most people join the crowd to self-protect And they go hide in the herd because they want to avoid criticism or rejection or feeling alone. You see, I feel it's possible that Mary sat alone that day, not because no one else wanted to join her, but because many of the others in that room allowed a seawall to come between them and the presence of the Lord that came flooding in because they wanted to protect themselves from the judgment and criticism of others, and they wanted to not be seen as too much. It's obvious that the herd mentality, which is alive today, as we all know, it's obvious that following Jesus with a passion will not be a popular to the masses. Isn't that right? It used to be people that were passionate for Jesus carried bullhorns. On street corners and now it's people that are passionate against Jesus the ones with the bullhorns and they're coming with those bullhorns at anybody that's willing to break open a bottle and pour it out over the person of Jesus in an act of passion because they want to drown you out with the bullhorn but the world needs people like Mary who will step out of the herd not worry about criticism or judgment or being seen as too passionate about Jesus They need to step out of the herd to show the rest of us what really pleases the Lord. Because what did Jesus do once this happened and they started to pile on her? He said, leave her alone. He came to defend the person who poured it out. And he actually looked at the others and said, you're wrong and she's right. And it said that it pleases the Lord. And so here's the thing, that there's something, he said, what she's done is a beautiful thing. I gave you a bunch of information, though, that I hope is like intellectually sort of sitting in your brain, but I know that it needs to hit our heart today. It's one thing to say, hey, we need to be more passionate. It's another thing to recognize that, you know what, I'm the one that's actually putting the stiff arm up to the Holy Spirit in my life. I'm the one that's actually doing this. Herd mentality, that's actually me. I wanna bring some closure and, and you know, obviously, need to land this plane before we run out of gas. Um, but I have a few questions for you to reflect on today and through the week. I think these seawalls are real for many of us. I feel like we self-protect. Not because we don't love God, but because our flesh is still at, at war with the Spirit of God in us. The enemy deceives us by telling us to hold back, to stay in control and to not be too Christian. <laughs> So three questions I want to throw at you. First one, are you, are you motivated by your own agenda? And this is really the self-protective of your ways, wants, and beliefs. You see, this was Judas' struggle, and you may not be like Judas in the sense that you're at a place where you're about to give up on Jesus, but his struggle began with his ways versus the ways of God and the ways of Jesus. And none of us like to admit that we like to be in control. None of us like to admit that we're, we're not surrendering to God. None of us like to actually say that out loud. And so I get that this is a hard one to sometimes admit to ourselves. But this self-protective wall is all too real for so many of us. And it keeps God at bay. It keeps him at, his arm, at an arm's length. He's close, but not too close. And None of us want to say that that's who we are, but... I think it's a good question for a lot of us. Number two, do you protect yourself from too much passion for Jesus? Meaning your self-protection of judgment, misunderstanding, criticism of others. This is the the practice of hiding in the herd. (laughs) This was the struggle of the others who really wanted to follow Mary's lead but then got swept up by the the others who were calling for greater purpose. And so they found themselves sort of adjusting to the status quo and what the rest of everybody else was saying. and so I gotta ask the question, or maybe you're at a place in life where you would be really honest and say, Yeah, at times I'm afraid to stand out for Jesus. I'm worried that people won't understand me and or think that I'm too passionate about God or that I'm weird and I understand. Maybe we're worried that, you know, people that we love even our friends or our family won't understand if we if we really just allowed God to do what he wanted to do in our life. Number three, is your faith more about purpose than passion? Meaning you self-protect from surrender by just doing more. And I believe this wall was a real struggle for the others who spoke up and dismissed passion for purpose, dismissed passion for pragmatic ways that seem more important than just being a person that surrenders and does something loving for Christ. You see, these kind of people, they don't want to show affection for Jesus as much as they want to do for Jesus. And here's the thing, I'm wired this way a little bit, so I'll just say some of us that are dealing with that, listen, God will use that. It's a gift that he's given you to be so productive or so purposeful, and it's a great thing. So I would just say if that's you, just start praying for God to soften your heart and to enjoy his presence. Start looking for ways to worship and just be with God instead of do for God. The others missed the moment. And ultimately the greatest commandment when Jesus said, hey, the first and most important one is this, love the Lord your God with all of your passion. Today, as I just really prepared for this, I, I, I just had a sense that some of us needed to really look in the mirror today and consider what happens to you as a human being in those seasons of life where God is trying to move in your life and you feel the kind of the rushing kind of move of God's flooding presence come up towards you, what happens when a wave of God's renewal is coming at you? Do we put the stiff arm up? Do we put the walls up? And not because we don't love God, but we just just don't know what else to do. It's kind of... Kind of what happens? Do we do we immediately self protect our ways, our wants, our beliefs? Do we put the walls up to protect ourselves from what other people will think? Do we put the walls up to to default to purpose instead of passion? Dismissing passion as just a waste of time and energy and that we should go and do something more productive. You know, God can do anything. He can go anywhere. He can save any person. He can heal any disease. He doesn't need our permission. But I would say this. I believe God loves when people put the walls down and they start to welcome in his presence. When someone says, "Come Holy Spirit, come on into my life, come in do what you want to do." When we begin to beg and contend for his presence to flood our lives, you see that's the point today is is, is even though this isn't all that different from times when we talk about, hey, we should hunger and thirst or we should, we should contend in prayer. I, 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 just, I just had this thought, though, that have we actually welcomed, have you actually welcomed renewal into your life? Because I feel like a lot of us, we have to hear this word that we have to stop protecting ourselves and we have to start welcoming Renewal. We have to stop protecting ourselves from the renewing work of God's Holy Spirit, which will transform and change us and disrupt our norms and flood our lives. We have to stop protecting ourselves from that, and we have to start welcoming His renewal into our life. And some of us, we like, I'm not really stopping it. I'm not trying to protect. Well, I think a lot of us unknowingly protect ourselves from the deep things of God. We don't know what's happening. We do it for many reasons. It might be cultural pressures. It might be reputation or self-centeredness or or control or confusion or even our upbringing. It just didn't ever teach us this idea of how to welcome in the presence of the Lord. It always taught us to just sort of keep them at an arm's length and that's just how we were raised. We're fatigued, whatever it is, we protect ourselves from the wrong thing. And we do like the others in this story did. But I just want to be the one to tell you, if you need to hear it, that more of God in your life, more passion for Jesus. It's the only place that you'll find freedom. And it's the only place that you'll actually find life behind the promise. Because every other promise, every other endeavor in life that promise you some form of life or some sort of fulfillment will end up failing. It just does. It's only found in God the Father, Jesus the Son, and His presence of the Holy Spirit that we find the promise to be true, that we can actually find the life we're looking for. I wanna invite you to welcome renewal into your life today. Because sometimes I've been saying it, but God can break through any wall. He can go anywhere. But what happens when we open the door? What once felt like a wave beating against us becomes like a gentle river of his power when we open the door flowing into our life. So I want to pray for us. And I want to help us, if you haven't, really Intentionally welcomed renewal into your life. No matter how you feel about your relationship with the Lord right now, you may be feeling on cloud nine or you may be feeling in the pit wherever you're at in the middle. We can all welcome renewal into our life. And so I want to do that. I want to pray for us. And to do that, actually, whatever everybody just stand, let's stand together and bow your heads. Just bow your heads, close your eyes. God, I just want to pray for this church, for every person in this room. May we welcome your presence today. May we welcome your renewal. In fact, to do that, if you you just want to make, I just want to lead us into this moment. If you want to make a welcoming posture today, perhaps you can just put your hands out in front of you you as if you're going to receive from the Lord today. If you feel comfortable doing that, again, no one's looking around. your hands in front of you. I I want to tell you something. God, you know, church, the story of the church, our history, it shows us that before all great revivals, especially of the last several hundred years, before a revival came to a culture or a region, there was a spiritual renewal of God's people happening across a city or a region. And before those churches or those cities were renewed, there were individuals, there were small communities of Christians that were personally experiencing a deep awakening and renewal, It meaning that, that the wave of God was actually begins in individuals and people like us who put down the walls and welcome renewal. And so I want to ask you a very specific question. Have you welcomed renewal into your life? You know, what if you removed fears and barriers and walls and welcomed the Lord like you haven't welcomed Him maybe in a long time or perhaps even ever? What if you said that ancient prayer, come Holy Spirit into my life? I welcome your presence to flood my life. I want more of you, no more self-protection, no more arm's length. You know, when we welcome God's presence He loves to come to us gently. It's still powerful, but it's more like that mighty river. I love breakthrough. I love from the the power of God to break through any circumstance. And we invite your breakthrough, Lord, but we also invite your presence in the gentle way that you often do. So I want to invite you to just even on your own to say, Lord, I just want to welcome renewal into my life. So I'm going to give you just a moment to say that prayer to him if you want to, to say, God, I want to welcome renewal into my life. Come, Holy Spirit. We're actually just going to stand in his presence for just a moment, and you're just going to continue to say that. Come, Holy Spirit. I welcome your work into my life. today can be a, a moment when renewal work begins today can be a moment when a wall is removed you don't have to brace for impact when you open the door so I'm going to say this prayer Father we collectively sit in your presence today we ask that you forgive our sins when we make life about our own agendas don't align with yours. We ask that you forgive us when we're afraid or ashamed to stand out for you. We ask that you forgive us for the times we hide in the crowds. We ask that you forgive us when we take the passion out of our faith and we replace it with a pragmatic relationship. We ask that you would forgive us for the sin that we commit against you, the sin that we struggle with. We declare all sin as rebellious and opposite of your love and your will for our life we ask that you forgive us, Father. We want to open the door of renewal today. We want to welcome the renewing work of your Holy Spirit. In a moment, we're going to sing, and this whole song is intended to be a a declaration of this prayer, a declaration of this heart, and we can sing it to the top of our lungs. We can lift our hands with a lot of public displays of affection for Jesus. We can go to our knees where we sit at at your chair we can come to the altar but for the last little bit that we have together today we just want to welcome, welcome his presence welcome his renewal so Father we give you these next few moments as a way of just responding to your love for us